book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. We're going to be there for about 10, 15 seconds. As you know, we're working our way through Ephesians. Uh, we are alighting on this first paragraph uh, in the first chapter, coming to the end of it. We've already seen about uh, how Paul talks about the blessing we have from the Father, that we are uh, elect, that we are predestined. Um, then the blessing that is ours because of the work of the Son in that we are redeemed, our sins are forgiven, and uh, now we're looking at the blessing that is ours because of the Holy Spirit, and we haven't quite been able to get there because I wanted for us to first realize what we're talking about uh, when Paul is talking about this. In, in, in verse 13, he says, in him, that in, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's the phrase you're keeping in your head. That's what we're after. Last week we looked at uh, how Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Uh, today we're going to be looking at how that promise worked out and how it was proclaimed in the first sermon of the church when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. But um, our, our aiming target last week, this week, probably next week, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, just to give John a chance to rest and the rest of the, um, the band, uh, let's spend some time in the book of Acts. Just turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1, and uh, for the next few moments I want for us to get a running start into uh, the first sermon preached when the church was started on the day of Pentecost. All right? Uh, the book of Acts is really the Gospel of Luke, uh, Volume 2. Uh, in the Gospel, uh, Luke deals with the life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. In the book of Acts, he begins with the resurrected Jesus talking to his disciples. Then he ascends into heaven, and the church is launched uh, in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. I want for us to uh, back up into chapter 1, uh, skip down with me to verse 4. And what we're looking for here is what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit just before he left his disciples. Uh, kind of significant, by the way. Uh, th this is the last thing he's going to say to them on earth. Um, these are the parting words. If you had just one thing to say, what would you say? And here's what Jesus said to them. He said, and while staying with them, while Jesus was staying with the disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father given by Jesus, and he says, guys, wait for him. Just wait for it. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for that Holy Spirit to come to you. Skip down to verse 8, and Jesus says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, the, you just, just going on and on and on, that uh, we will be witnesses all over the world. But this will be because of the power of the Holy Spirit given to us. Then in the intervening verses, Jesus ascends into heaven to the right hand of the Father, and we come now to chapter 2, which gives us, if you will, the birthday of um, the the church. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, Pentecost 
uh, was one of the Jewish feasts. It takes place about 50 days after um, uh, Passover. So we're, we're talking about roughly seven weeks after uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus has ascended. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on them, each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, you probably have friends who are uh, what are known as Pentecostals because of this passage of Scripture. And uh, they like to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and receiving the gift of tongues. What you need to know is that in the book of Acts, the gift of tongues is the ability to proclaim Jesus Christ in a way that's understood by other people. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers them to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. And they began to speak in other tongues, in other languages. It means that um, they, they polished off, I guess, that high school Greek and started speaking Greek. And others were preaching in Aramaic and some others in Latin. And, and on and on it went, each, each one speaking uh, the gospel and talking about Jesus in an, uh, with an ability and a power that was given to them by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 5. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So they hear uh, the work of the Holy Spirit going on in these disciples' lives. They hear the proclamation. They hear the, the utterance that, that they are giving. And uh, it's just a great noise, a sound, a commotion going on. People gather and say, what's going on here? What's happening? All right. So what is, what is taking place here? is that the Holy Spirit given to the church, given to the disciples, attracts the attention of the world. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, the church attracts the attention of the world. These people wanted to know what was going on here. They came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. you got to just circle that. The Holy Spirit came, people understood what was being said. That was the miracle. That was the gift um, that was being given to them. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us uh, hears uh, in his own native language? And then skip down to verse 12. It says, And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said... They are filled with new wine. These guys are drunk. You know, that's, that's, that's the only thing that explains it. They're crazy, they're loco, they're drunk. All right. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give, he he and give heed and hear uh, my words. All right. So now at this point, Peter's going to preach the first sermon. What I want for us to, to have in our minds as we go through the service and then come to our time together is that the reason the crowd gathered was because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The reason they were listening was to hear an explanation of what they were seeing by the working and moving of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the subject at hand. That's the, the purpose. That's the reason why this, this sermon is going to be delivered. The 
few moments we'll come and we'll see what Peter has to say. All right? Let's bow for prayer together. Father in heaven, I'm just so thankful that you have not only promised the Holy Spirit, but have given him to us, that we do not walk through life alone, we do not walk through um, life's journey uh, on our own strength, nor do we need to find our own way, but you have given us your own presence in, in, in your Holy Spirit to us, to guide us, to lead us, to empower us, encourage us, Father, to make us faithful. I would ask only that you would ever keep us open, receptive, Father, that your Spirit would have perfect sway in us, and that our lives would live out the meaning of having been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's plunge into the first sermon ever preached by a Christian, uh, in the inaugural sermon of the, of the church. Peter has one of the greatest opening lines ever. I mean, to start a sermon, here's his opening line. You ready? These men are not drunk. That's it. That's all you need to know. They're not drunk. You see, the world tries to explain us away. The world would like to explain us away as some kind of psychological uh, endeavor in which uh, uh, childhood needs and, and structures have been summoned to the forefront. And we have a comfort zone when we're singing songs, and that's, that explains it. Or maybe it's, it's a sociological thing. We just like to get together and be surrounded with, with friends and have a family away from family. And, and so uh, uh, the, the world tries to explain what's going on. One of the favorite ex- explanations of the world is you people are nuts. You're just, you're just crazy. You're drunk. And so Peter sets them straight. He says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. Well, if they're not drunk, then what is it? You know, if they're not nuts, what is it? And so Peter explains this phenomenon that's going on in front of them. These men who are called out to witness and they're proclaiming Christ in a miraculous way. In other words, how do you explain the work of the Holy Spirit? That's the subject of the sermon that he's about to preach. And so Peter says they're not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what has been uttered through the prophet Joel. We're in verse 16, now verse 17. Prophet Joel was, so oh, five, six hundred years before uh, Christ. And so for hundreds of years, this promise had been on the books. This promise that had been given through the prophet Joel. And Peter now is saying, Joel's promise, that promise, is now being fulfilled, and here's what it looks like. And so he says, this is what was promised in Joel. Here's what was said. This, by the way, verses 17 through 21 are a direct quote of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and following. In the last days, last days, I'm going to simplify it, former days before Christ, last days after Christ because we are living in the light of the end of time when Christ comes again and his glory is revealed. So all these days, the, the, the years in which we live right now are all touched by the last days. So that's an oversimplification, but basically that, that's it. So in these last days now, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What was that? God, what? Promised to pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh. What would happen? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. 
This is an amazing promise. See, the Holy Spirit has always been at work. It's not like uh, the Holy Spirit has just sort of been uh, uh, on hold in the waiting room, uh, waiting for his chance to get involved in the work of God. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that when God created the heavens and the earth, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the face of the deep. Now, the Holy Spirit's been around always. The Holy Spirit was active in the days of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would move men to do great things. Uh, the Holy Spirit would, would fill a, a king or a prophet or a priest and, and give them a particular uh, uh, thing to do and would enable them to do it. The uh, Spirit, for example, was given to King Saul, and then ultimately Saul's uh, turning away from God resulted in the Spirit being withdrawn from Saul. But the Holy Spirit was given to particular people for a particular task, a, a particular defined task, but God promised through the prophet Joel, he said, the day's coming when I'm going to give my spirit to everybody, absolutely everybody. It won't be like you think it is. It won't be that the Holy Spirit is given to a couple of people so they can preach or a few people so they can teach or the Holy Spirit is given to some of the superstars, quote unquote, of the Christian world. It is the case that the Holy Spirit is given to every believer in Jesus Christ. Every believer given the Holy Spirit. And God said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit. And it won't be restricted. It won't be restricted by gender. It won't be restricted by status. It won't be restricted by age. But all will receive the Holy Spirit into their lives. Now, that's a great promise. It's an even greater promise had you been a Jew back in the days of Jesus. And what you knew was that the spirit of prophecy was gone. There hadn't been a prophet in Israel for almost 400 years, right around 400 years. And what you knew was that God promised to send Elijah the prophet again. Then you heard this rumbling where this guy, John John the Baptist guy, had started, what, prophesying. That seemed odd. But you had been living in a world where the spirit of prophecy had been absent and God had said the day's coming when I'm going to pour out my spirit on everybody who believes. Now Peter says, you know this thing you're seeing, all these people out here talking the gospel where you can understand it, this commotion that, that has gotten your attention, this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that Joel talked about. It's being fulfilled. The person of the Holy Spirit has been given. Well, he goes on and cites uh, the further verses in Joel. I want to cover them very quickly. He says in verse 19, and I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor, smoke, sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day of the Lord. In other words, the Holy Spirit through God's people is going to give signs and wonders, testimony to what God is doing. These are um, uh, very poetic, uh, very um, understandable uh, pictures that he gives about the sun and the moon, well known to the people of that day with the literature they were reading before them. But I want for us to get down to verse 21. It says, now, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. God promised that. It's happening right here and right now. And here's what that means. And it shall come to pass, Joel prophesied, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, I really want to do a review 
of what we talked about when we saw that the Father chose us before the foundation of the world and that those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of God and those whom he predestined he called and those whom he called uh, he, he glorified and those whom he, uh, you know, that whole sequence from Romans. You got that. You're really... <laughs> but the thing is, everyone who calls and God is working to bring people to call upon him by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's what's going on. Now, how did that work out in history? See, we're still trying to understand what's this Holy Spirit thing going on, Peter. Peter says, well, first of all, it's God's promise, the promised Holy Spirit going on, and it's happening as people call upon the name of the Lord. How do they call upon the name of the Lord? Well, let me explain that to you, Peter says in verse 22. No longer quoting Joel, he's, it, Peter's talking to them. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth... A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Oh, we just pause and give the Father glory for sending the Son. You know, sending the Son who came uh, and walked among us and um, uh, experienced the thirst and the hunger. He experienced the exhaustion. He, ex he experienced the, the, the rejection and the persecution of men. He experienced all of life. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Jesus came, the Father sent him, and he came, and he lived, and he dwelt among us. That in and of itself is worth giving God praise, honor, and glory Amen. for the gift of his Son. And so Peter says... First of all, remember, God sent his son. God sent Jesus attested to you. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Evidently, Peter never went to the Carnegie Institute of how to make a speech. You know, this is going to alienate your audience, but it happens to be the truth. What is Peter saying? He says, God sent him, you killed him. You killed him. And it's not just, oh, well, the people back then, they killed him, or the Romans killed him, or the religious leaders killed him. Our sins put Jesus on the cross. Our sins drove the nails into his hands. Our sins pierced his side, and our sins crushed the life out of him. Jesus died because of our sin. We killed him. And when you look at that gift of Jesus, you know, we celebrate that here in, in the Christmas season, the gift of Jesus, the most beautiful man ever to walk the face of the earth, the most wonderful life ever lived in our midst. This Jesus, we killed him. We killed him. And if the story ended right there, it would end in abject misery and sorrow and grief. For having killed him, we deserve the wrath of God. You killed him. God sent him. You killed him. Verse 24, put your finger on it. God raised him up. Now, there's the gospel. Those are the first three sentences of the gospel. God sent him. You killed him. God raised him. You know, God did something totally beyond our imagination, beyond our thinking. God did something that we could never have, have grasped. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it, not possible for Jesus to be held in the grave. Then Peter quotes scripture to illustrate that point. Skip down to verse 32. Peter says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. You were remembering that phrase, right? You know that's what we're talking about. You know that that's what we're trying to understand. Jesus exalted into heaven and to give us picture language so we could understand the deeper mysterious, really, uh, 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 um, reality of it all, that the Father fills the Son and gives the Son the gift of the Holy Spirit. Having received the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, the Son, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You're seeing the promised Holy Spirit poured out through the Son from the Father. I, I can't wait. This, this goes later on in the service, but did anybody notice the Trinity? <laughs> you know, the first sermon of the church, and Peter preaches on the Trinity, the person of the Son sent by the person of the Father filled with the promise of the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know why we don't talk about the Trinity. We're afraid somebody's going to ask us to do the math. How can there be one God and three persons? You don't have to explain it. You just have to proclaim it because that's the truth of it all. Um, ask me later about how to understand it, but, you know, that, that's another story. But um, he, he preaches on the Trinity, the fullness of God in our salvation. But notice this, it's not complete without the Holy Spirit. It's not complete without the Holy Spirit. I mean, I grew up in, in an era in which churches, Baptist churches at least, never talked about the Holy Ghost, except in the doxology. We sang the doxology, or the Gloria Patri, but, but uh, we, we, we sang the, the doxology and praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And that was it. That was the sum total of our doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I want to tell you about the joy I had. And, and you know, that you, you have these little moments in your Christian walk. You know, you receive Christ, really big deal. But as you're walking with Christ, then you encounter some aspect of the truth of the gospel. You say, I didn't know that. And you just feel like you grow by leaps and bounds. Have you ever had that? You know, and, and you're going on and you say, oh, so that's what's going on. And you have another quantum leap of growth. Well, I had one of those moments when sitting in my room in college, I came to understand I don't have to live the, the, the Christian life. The Holy Spirit lives that life in me. Amen. And my job is to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit work and let my life be conformed to the image of Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit in me. You see, without the Holy Spirit, um, the gospel becomes almost a, 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 um, a matter of, well, you need to be like Jesus. How do I do that? Hunker down and try harder? No, you try to be like Jesus by letting the Holy Spirit of God work in your life. That's why the promise of the Holy Spirit is so significant, so important, so vital. See, no one part of God works apart from the other persons of God. The Father never works apart from the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit never apart from the Son and the Father. The Son never apart from the Father and the Spirit. I think I've covered the combinations and permutations. But all of God always works wherever God is working. But he works by the gift of the Holy Spirit to us, which is the very presence of God in the life of the believer. And so um, Peter ends this uh, this sermon by saying, and the Son raised to the right hand of the Father, receives the Spirit and pours out the Holy Spirit on those who believe in him. And so Peter ends in verse 36, says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. All right, you've got a problem on your hands, folks. God sent his son. You killed him. God raised him. The Holy Spirit's available. What are you going to do? People realized that on that Pentecost day. 
for in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said this. I'm going I'm to stop here, sir. There's some people who are real concerned. How do I get the Holy Spirit? How do I get the Holy Spirit? Some people go to conferences where somebody's going to explain how to get the Holy Spirit. You sit in a room and you chant something or, or you just try harder or you, or you just pray and pray and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit. And others say, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Well, you've got to go to services and, and get slain in the Spirit or something like that. Peter's going to tell you right now how to get the Holy Spirit. Peter's going to tell you right now how to receive the Holy Spirit into your life. Here's how it works. I didn't make this up. It's right here. Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. Repent. Understand that you are a sinner. Understand that you have rebelled against the Father. Understand that your sins have crucified the Son. Understand that you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and rejected the Holy Spirit. Understand that you have sinned against God. And repent. Repent. Turn away from that sin. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, as Peter says this, he's not saying, well, just go get dunked in the water and that'll take care of it. Because if that were the case, you know what we'd do? We would just hose everybody down who came by the church on, on Barry Road. You know, and that would take care of it. It's not the, the, the washing of the water, but it's the appeal to God for a good conscience, as Peter says in his epistle. Baptism is a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for my sins. Going under the water is a picture of the death of Jesus. He died for my sins. He was raised on my behalf. That's the, that's the picture image of coming up out of the water. We identify with that so that our old sin nature is put to death and we are raised to walk in newness of Christ. And so when Peter says, be baptized for forgiveness, what he's saying is be baptized on the basis of the grace of God in Christ Jesus Receiving that into yourself and baptism then becomes a public profession of faith, a public way to state that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. All right. So repent, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the forgiveness of your sins. This is at the latter part of verse 38. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say accept Jesus into your life. And maybe someday you'll graduate to being a spirit-filled Christian. Accept Jesus into your life, and maybe someday when you work hard enough and the mood is just right, you might get zapped by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say once you become a Christian out there, there's something else that might happen. God might give you the Holy Spirit. He said the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is given to you, and you're filled with the Spirit. Now we can... We can rebel against the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit. We can disobey the Spirit. But the Spirit is given to every believer in Jesus Christ. That seems like a big thing to say. See, it doesn't matter where you are on the journey. You, know, you might look at your life and say, you know, I'm, I'm not doing very well right now. You know, there's sins that I'm dealing with. There's temptations that I'm dealing with. There's attitudes of the heart and the mind that I'm dealing with. There's so many things I'm dealing with. I've got to get those straight. No, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You just need to get out of the way and let the Spirit of God take over. Let the Spirit of God take over. And so Peter says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, be baptized, repent, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 39, for the promise is for you, and it's for 
your children, and for all who are far off. Notice this. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, we've been looking at this. You don't even come to the Father except the Holy Spirit brings you through the Son. You don't even call upon the name of Jesus except the Holy Spirit works in your heart to bring a conviction and to inspire a faith within you to to call upon the name. But this Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is for everyone whom God the Father calls to himself. It's for all of us. And what that means is the Holy Spirit is here in our midst because I know there's believers in Jesus Christ here. You know, I love our worship services. I really do. Um, I don't know who that kid is who leads the song, but his dad raised him right. I'll tell you, he, uh, he does okay sometimes. But, um, but you know, sometimes when John backs off and, and, and we just have the congregation singing, I love it when he says, just your voices. Can't do that now. It'll look, it'll look manufactured. But, but to hear the people of God singing, it just moves the heart. Sometimes you go out of this place, I know I do, and I just, I just feel as though the Holy Spirit has been here and working and, and dominating and speaking and changing lives. And, and, you know, it's just a marvelous experience. But I want to tell you this, the Holy Spirit is here not because I felt him, but because God promised to send him. The Holy Spirit is here not because we manufactured an emotional worship service, but the Holy Spirit is here because God said, wherever two or three are gathered in the midst, I'm sending the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to be there, and I'll be in the midst of you, and we're just going to have a praise God, the Father, through the Son, by the power of Holy Spirit service right then and there. It's because of the promise of God. The Holy Spirit is here in this place. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a feeling. He's not an emotion. He's not a sensitivity. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. It's God, the Holy Spirit. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is present. It's just not influential. It's not, not a case where the Holy Spirit is, is sort of a, an idea or a concept. The Holy Spirit is present in our midst because of the promise of God. And the Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit does things. The Holy Spirit gets the job done. You know, even in our prayer, I just thought of this, and I think it's great. Even in our prayer, we don't even know how to pray as we ought. The Holy Spirit takes our prayers and reshapes them and crafts them and translates them and takes them before the Father's throne of grace so that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. That's how we know that all things work together for our good, for those who are called according to the purposes of God who love him. See, the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. He's present. He's powerful. And what that means is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there's nothing you can't do because God has already given you all the resource you need in the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And what I want that to do to translate into this coming week is as you're going through the week, you're going to run into some things and, and you're going to say, you know, I'm not sure I can do that. You know, I, I hear this. You, you, you hear it too. You, you share a passage of Scripture. You say, well, you know, Jesus said we need to forgive one another. Well, I can't ever forgive that person. Yes, you can. Or I should say you can't, but the Holy Spirit can in you. Sometimes a person has a grudge that they're bearing against someone and you show them the scripture says, you know, before you come to the altar and before you worship God, you need to go and be reconciled to your brother. I can't do that. 
Maybe you can't. The Holy Spirit in you can. See, it turns out that nothing is impossible with God, the Holy Spirit. You know, nothing is impossible. And whatever God has called us to do, we can do as the Holy Spirit works within us. Had, a, had one person after the 830 service that she went out of the service, she said, I wish somebody had told me this a long time ago when I started out. Oh, she, it's not like this sermon convinced her, and now she knows it. No, it, it, you know, it, she, she came to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. But she said, when I started, I didn't know about the Holy Spirit, and life was, was just miserable. Now it's glorious. So I want you to know about the promise of God to pour out his Holy Spirit upon all those who call upon the name of the Lord and then to rely upon that Holy Spirit. That every time you are led by the Spirit of God to do, to speak, to forgive, to love, to serve, whatever it is, to say, yes, I can do that because God has poured out his Spirit upon all flesh. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you haven't left us to our own design and devices. You haven't left us on our own strength. Father, you have filled us with your own presence. We thank and praise you for the gift of the Holy Spirit this morning and for what he means to us. Father, for the countless times that your Holy Spirit has, has lifted us up and dusted us off and given us the strength and the courage to press on. Father, we thank and praise you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that indeed takes our life from just any other life struggling to a life lived in victory by faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.